Thank you, Ben, for reminding everyone how long I've been around. (laughs) But it is true, I did do an exhibition at uh, the VCA Gallery um, almost 30 years ago um, on Jane Sutherland. It was on the whole Sutherland family. And when it uh, came time to look at her work for Australian Impressionism, I found that my notes from that, that period had absolutely gone missing after much hunting. They couldn't be found. But on hearing that I'd lost my notes, Mary Eagle sent me quickly her notes, her research notes. And I think that just, um, I think, typifies the collegiality and the, the wonderful exchange of information that underpins this whole Australian Impressionism project. Well, Jane Sutherland, she's the least well-known of our marvellous group, Um, but she's certainly an amazing woman, and there she is, staring quite directly at you, the viewer. You'll notice in this photograph um, just how she does engage. She is, in many ways, the new woman, not the femme fatale of the 19th century, but certainly the new professional woman, because that is why we see her as belonging so firmly with the group of Australian Impressionists. She was the most um, important woman artist working in Melbourne um, during the, the late 1880s and 1890s. And she had a studio at Grosvenor Chambers and painted out at Box Hill and Heidelberg and certainly took her place exhibiting alongside her male colleagues. Unfortunately, her oeuvre is very small. She didn't exhibit as many works as her male colleagues. She was reasonably well off, um, but she certainly supported herself right through her, her life teaching and uh, having, giving private lessons. You might also notice, looking at this photograph, the, the very beautiful fern leaf brooch at her neck. And that typifies, I think, um, her interest in the national, natural and national bush. Um, she was an avid bushwalker, a very contemporary thing for a woman to be doing. She becomes a member of the field naturalists group. And, um, and she was also, we, we find later in her life, a vegetarian. So she was quite radical, although, as far as we know, she was never a formal member of the suff- suffragette movement. She never married. She didn't have children. She lived with her two sisters, um, who also didn't marry. But her family is extraordinary. And it's hard to really talk about Jane Sutherland without going a little bit into her background. Um, She was the eldest daughter um, with a family of eight children, of George and Jane Sutherland, who um, had lived in Dumbarton, downstream or upstream from Glasgow. He had been an artist. Also, he had uh, been a model of ship's figureheads. And certainly, at one point, they emigrate to America, obviously in search of a new life. And Jane is, in fact, born in New York in 1853. Now, um, for those sensitive souls in the audience, you'll um, be pleased to know that she was born at the end of um, 1953. And it's often quoted that she was the eldest of the Australian Impressionists. Indeed, she was. 
But she wasn't two years older than McCubbin, which looks to be that way when you just look at the figures. In fact, she was only 14 months older than McCubbin. He was born in February, she was born in December. So remember that, it's quite significant. Anyway, um, this close-knit family of the Sutherlands came to Australia in 1864. Um, before emigrating, George had put an advertisement in the um, local newspaper in Dumbarton suggesting that as well as um, producing ship's figureheads, he was also able to turn his hand at mirrors and uh, other carved ornaments. So obviously times were getting a little bit hard for ship's figureheads with the advent of um, steamships. And that may have been why they emigrated first to Sydney in 1864 and then settling in Melbourne in 1870. Now, once in Melbourne, they found their, 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 their true location and they absolutely thrived. George's brothers came out from Scotland and joined them and they became quite an extended family. They, they really took to Melbourne as this wonderful city with its um, emerging kind of sense of marvellous Melbourne. They had a house in Carlton and we get a glimpse of the house here in these two drawings by George Sutherland which not only give you a sense of the house they lived in but the sense of family that they were very much part of. Um, there's a, a letter to one of the sons attached to this drawing of Jane, Jane which is inscribed... Um, the open air awakens mirth and more especially Jenny rejoices to be free from Mr. Gerard for a time. So it's a drawing of 1879 when um, Jane Sutherland was at the uh, gallery school where her father had also enrolled. Now we don't know whether he enrolled to sharpen up his his uh, drawing skills or whether he went to chaperone his young daughter. But certainly father and daughter enrolled. And here's the important thing about the age. She enrolled at the drawing school at the NGV um, the same, same year as, as, as Frederick McCubbin. And they formed a very close friendship and remained professional friends throughout their, their entire lives. And... Um, Probably also the Scottish heritage of McCubbin, um, you know, struck a, a, a chord with, um, with the Sutherland family. At any rate, um, she stays at the art school for a long time. She's in fact at the art school for 16 years. She goes first, as they all did, from the School of Drawing, then to the School of Painting under von Gerard, and then in 1886... One year after her father dies, she goes back to the School of Drawing. But, of course, that was the year that Frederick McCubbin, her friend, had become master of the drawing school. So a long time to hang around the art school is all I can say. <laughs> but she certainly exhibited from about um, 1878, first with the Victorian Academy of Arts and then with the Victorian Art Society, and of course, as we know, she was at Box Hill, giving us these rather small, rather sweet, um, very typical Box Hill pictures, introducing a theme that becomes a dominant theme throughout her work, um, the theme of children in the landscape. And here you've got, um, a, a, as I said, a quite amusing 
small picture of a girl on her way to school whose pathway is obstructed by not a raging bull but a quite gentle-looking cow. And also um, we get little gossips, these two little girls, perfectly at home in the landscape. Here you get a, a contrast to perhaps the work of her colleague Frederick McCubbin with his well-known Lost, where you have a child at peril in the, in the bush. You never get that with, um, with Sutherland's work. It's much, much more of a, a gentle approach. Now, as I mentioned... Oh, there's one more McCubbin of a similar theme. As I mentioned, the Sutherlands um, really took to Melbourne. Um, they really flourished in the sciences in, and in the arts. The boys went off to university. Um, William became an a incredibly important uh, physicist. Alexander and James were both um, uh, historians. And um, George Jr. set up the um, Carlton College. So they really did make a great contribution to the academic, social and artistic life of Melbourne. The girls all went into the arts. Jane became a painter, but she was also a pianist. Um, one of the sisters became a professional pianist, another a leader singer. But certainly... Um, Another aspect of their, their life was their taking up of the Australian church. They became members of the Australian church in 1885. This was a kind of breakaway movement of the Presbyterian church, which was led by Dr Charles Strong, and it's quite a fascinating bit of history to, to, to read. But, um, you know, it, ha it had a social aspect to it, um, the younger people got involved in doing good works of helping the poorer classes, helping the poor in, in Collingwood. Um, and we find in 1888 that... Um, what have I missed? Yeah, in 1888 that um, Sutherland takes up a national theme in her work with this work entitled On the Last Tramp. Now, she would have been aware of um, McCubbin's, and we'll go to those in a moment, um, paintings depicting uh, swaggies or bushmen, and certainly she would have been aware of the many artists working with black and white illustrations. She would have known these, particularly through her, her, um, her brother's book on Victoria and its metropolis, which had been published also in 1888, all part of the kind of celebrations and sense of optimism that occurred in, in the, um, um, as in, inter, with the International um, Centennial Exhibition and with the um, Centennial uh, Celebrations of Settlement. Um, so it was Alexander's book. I think I said it was George's before, but never mind. Um, anyway, this work is called On the Last Tramp, and I just think the title um, really indicates what Jane Sutherland was trying to depict here. It's On the Last Tramp because in that optimism of the, the, the sort of marvellous Melbourne era just before it comes to a close, um, he's walking along not a bush track, but he's walking along a reasonably well-made road. It's been cut out 
along the, um, the siding there, and he's heading towards the Dandenong, but in the middle distance we can see um, the Mitcham brickworks. And so this work, I think, is really saying we're dealing with the past here. This is the last tramp. Of course, as we know, that optimism was misplaced and the um, encroaching or depression that they're about to head into meant that through the 19, uh, 1890s, itinerant bush walkers were very much part of the day of people moving from city to city, town to town, in search of employment. But McCubbin obviously had already dealt with this theme of um, while, with while the bullet while the uh, billy boils. In terms of her landscapes, um, one of the characteristics is the way in which Sutherland embraces the, the moods of the landscape, the moods of the seasons. Um, at the National Gallery of Victoria by 1869 was a Scottish artist, Peter Graham, whose autumnal showers, I think, she must have looked at and she would have related to him as a Scottish artist with her heritage. And you can see here this low, flat um, landscape, um, damp, quite melancholy. I think it, it, it was something that clearly influenced her own approach. This is another one of Peter Graham's, also in the um, National Gallery's collection, The Massacre of Glencoe, or After the Massacre, marvellously sublime, dramatic landscape, it came into the collection in 1889, so probably not such a, such a formative influence on her as the earlier work. But nevertheless, I think Peter Graham must have been an artist that she looked at. And we see this when we look at her wonderful numb fingers working while the eye of morn is yet bedimmed by tears, one of the great titles, don't you admit. Um, here you've got a scene of a woman picking bracken. Now, bracken is picked in late, late autumn um, into winter when you have less toxins in the bracken um, and picked just at dawn, as we can see. Very, quite melancholic, but you have the woman really kind of fading into the landscape. And in fact, one of the aspects of Sutherland's work and why we see her as this professional artist, she wasn't just a lady painter like many of the other women painters at the time. From the moment she starts to exhibit, her work was singled out for serious commentary by the critics of the day. She wasn't just, I mean, sometimes they overlooked her, but she was there fairly solidly. In, in, whenever she exhibited, she was commented on. She wasn't given just a throwaway line at the end, as the other women painters were. And when this work was exhibited, the Argus critic noted the clever vagueness of a number of works in the, um, the spring exhibition, noting that this defect becomes almost a virtue in Miss Jane Sutherland's practice picture. Um, the title I have tried to um, track down, in fact, I offered Chris Wallace Crabb a bottle of very good red, red wine if he could actually find out who, which poet had written it, and uh, we gave up. We couldn't. It's possible that the, the poem was written by Alice Brotherton, who wrote the, um, the poem that accompanies Robert's Summer Morning's Tiff. Brotherton had been part of the Bunarotti Club, which was a club that the um, 
uh, artists at the National Gallery School formed, they met fortnightly to have conversaciones, to talk about art, literature, poetry and um, other, uh, other aspects and they would sketch from each, each other uh, at 20 minutes at the end of these meetings which were held in various hotels around Melbourne and also at the, um, the Coffee Palace. Um, and McCubbin was a great attender at these, um, these meetings of the Bunarotti Society. So was, was Sutherland. Once she turns up with her mother, another, and her brother joins, he, he lectures to the Bunarotti Society on um, Adam Lindsay Gordon's poetry. But certainly Alice Brotherton frequently uh, recited some of her original poetry. So it's possible that that line belongs to Alice, or it could even be a line of poetry written by one of the Sutherland siblings or even Jane herself. They were all multi-skilled. Jane would often at the Bunarotti Society meetings play the piano while McCubbin sang popular songs such as um, The First Violet, for example. He had a fine baritone voice, evidently. We, we noticed this morning how Bastien Lepage was certainly an influence, and here is one way that um, it, may it may have come to, um, to Jane Sutherland through Frederick McCubbin's scrapbook, which is in the National Gallery of Victoria, where you've got this, um, this engraving of uh, one of Bastien Lepage's um, great realist works, The Wonderful Potato Gatherers, Aut October 1878, as it's now titled, uh, certainly entered the gallery too late to have been an influence on Jane Sutherland, but the theme of women um, engaged in, um, in work in the fields is obviously there with Bastien Lepage. It's, here's another one of his work with this uh, grape harvest. Again, women engaged in, in sort of rural work, gentle rural work, which clearly leads us to the very evocative and poetic work by Sutherland, The Mushroom Gatherers, in our collection. Perhaps, um, as, as Gerard pointed out, the most logical influence on her work would be um, D'Souza Pinto, um, student of Bastien Lepage, and this work, In the Fields, was purchased by the gallery in 1893, as we know as Gerard told us this morning, it had been selected by John Longstaff and representing the most avant-garde of the plain airists working in Europe at the time. And here too, this theme of children in the landscape is obviously pertinent to any study of, of Jane Sutherland. As you see in this work, which we haven't been able to um, title correctly. This is uh, just a descriptive title, Girl at a Fence. But it shows a young girl who um, obviously has gone out into the field. She has a very big bundle that she's carrying. My interpretation of this is that she's gone to the fields where people are working. And there are a number of missing works by Sutherland that we know from the titles that were exhibited that um, depict um, people returning home from having laboured in the field during the day. And my interpretation of this work is that the young girl has taken lunch to the workers and she's standing at the fence looking for them in the adjoining 
joining Paddock. Okay, we're almost there. Let me just shuffle my papers. I think I mentioned before one of her wonderful attributes as a painter is her, her ability to capture the essence of the landscape. And in fact, the reviewers of the time constantly refer to her work as being distinctly Australian, that her landscapes are distinctly Australian. Um, they refer to her, her works as being thorough, her landscapes also as being thoroughly Australian. So it's quite interesting to look at the landscape. She's intent on capturing um, the changing seasons and um, certainly in this work, which was probably painted in 1892, first green after the drought, I think all of us going through the drought in recent months will realise that the first drop of rain you get, even just how different the, um, the parklands opposite here become once you get a bit of green shooting through and the wonderful contrast of the bright yellow parched grass. And so here you have it out at Heidelberg, in first green after the drought. But also you get the blazing light of um, a midsummer's day in this work of 1893 and the wonderful sense of autumn and the effect of um, puddles and um, the dampness of autumn in after autumn rains. Now, Sutherland, um, as I said, had a, had a studio in Grosvenor Chambers, but she also had another studio in Buxton's, um, at Buxton's Rooms. Uh, I think she used the Buxton Rooms studio for teaching her private lessons, but also at Buxton's was the Artistic Stationery Company, which sold the new colours. And that's the other thing about Sutherland's work, the palette of contemporary colours. She's using mauves and purples. They became the fashionable colours of the second half of the 19th century. Mauve hadn't been discovered until um, mid-century. And she incorporates them right into her palette. It's a very feminine approach, but it's also very radical and very experimental in some ways. She's more experimental with her use of colour than her male colleagues. And she experiments with the application of paint. She rubs back, she, she starts to increasingly use the palette knife and to flick paint onto the surface. When she um, was written up in 1894 in an article on country studios in the age, she was described as the leader amongst the lady painters of Victoria of the open-air school. And the article goes on to say that she was now working in Mitcham, which we know she had uh, visited when she did the, on the last tramp work in um, 1888. And the article noted that Miss Sutherland, who has been working for some months past in this solitary and uncultivated country, has a sympathy for its beauty which she makes felt in her work. And I think this work is one of the most beautiful of, her, of hers, um, where you get the, the traditional Australian Impressionist framing of the landscape, but a beautiful view through to the Dandenongs and the purples and the, the sense of the eucalypts coming through. 
Okay, I mentioned she was a member of the Field Naturalist Club, which had been formed in 1880 for the purpose of exploring national his natural history. They went on excursions to collect specimens of eucalypts, of wildflowers. They had exhibitions of wildflowers. They were um, all about being Australian, as she was. Jane became a member in 1892, her brother James in 1879. And uh, in 1891, prizes were offered by the field naturalists to Victorian schoolchildren to encourage them to collect specimens, and the prizes were for the best specimens. This, this painting, I think, is just amazing with its three little field naturalists paddling in a pool, the wonderful autumn tones behind, and it reminds us somewhat um, of Ethel Turner, uh, Turner's classic children novels, the Seven Little Australians, which was published just um, in 1894, just two years before this work was, um, was exhibited. Okay, last two slides. Um, by the late 1890s, I think you're reaching the high point of Sutherland's career. And this work, Far Afield, is an interesting painting because on one hand... It's, um, it's, it's sort of going to, it's almost a companion picture to the next work, The Harvest Field, which is all about optimism. But this work is really quite sad. First of all, you've got a, a, a farm that's in a state of neglect. When we look at the, um, the stone wall, the dry stone wall, we see it's actually falling down. And um, it tells us, too, that this work was undoubtedly painted not over towards... Um, towards Heidelberg, but rather to the north, um, sort of east of um, Melbourne, northwest of Melbourne, perhaps around the Melton area, just over near Tullamarine. Um, and the Dry Stone Wall Association, who came to our, uh, to our assistance, told us that um, during the Depression, hungry people who were looking for rabbits would sometimes knock down these walls in, because that's where the rabbits were hanging out. So in the search for rabbits, the, a lot of these walls got, um, got partly destroyed. But you can see in the foreground of the painting um, weeds growing in, in the farm. And why is this young child, who's too young to be out alone, so far from home? So there is a sense of melancholy, if you like, about this work. But the other side, the companion painting, gives us a wonderful harvest field. It's such an optimistic painting. It's so proudly and thoroughly Australian that, in fact, in displaying it in the exhibition, we decided its place was in amongst the national themes. It's the last great work, sadly, because um, by 1900, Sutherland, who had just been elected as the first woman painter to the v Council of the Victorian Artists Society, is suddenly recorded as suffering from ill health, and she steps down from the council. An article also refers to the fact that um, she has been ill for a number of months and refers to the fact that this is probably through her hard work, but then goes on to say that possibly it's because of her vegetarianism. But certainly what, what the problem was was quite serious. I mean, she, she has either a stroke, stroke or a major heart attack, as did many of her 
family. The Sutherland family made such a great contribution, but many of them um, suffered and died quite early from cardiovascular disease. So from 1900, her work really does go into a decline. Um, she becomes incapacitated. Her younger brother, William, the physicist, helps her around Kew, where she's now living. She does pastels and sometimes replica of, replicas of her previous oil paintings. And he dies in 1911, and that virtually brings her exhib exhibiting career to an end. And she dies in 1928. But she does leave us some beautiful and very precious landscapes and figure studies. And this, I think, is one of her, her finest works. And the fact that we hung it in the, the National Themes room is the perfect segue for you to invite David Hansen to talk about the National Themes. Thank you. <laughs>